mansion in 1873. Over the course of ten years, many people mysteriously disappear and the mansion becomes known as the Lost. Then, in 1883, the Montaigne's daughter disappears just before her debutante presentation. Ah, we've met before. Jimmy! You and your friend are the talk around the house. Two days later, the Mortains went missing themselves, leaving the butler in charge of the estate. With all of the maps and information you have plastered around these walls, you wouldn't happen to know where we can find the elevator, would you? Leaving here should be the last thing on you, your m- mind. You sh- should be worrying about how to survive him. I'm not sure we're going to get much from this guy, friend. Is that right? Who are you talking about? Yes. No, no skill. I knows it. Don't want to learn. That's all I'm saying. Who are you talking about? Malek, the b- butler. Whatever n- name he has given you, don't trust him. He d- drew me into this house a long t- time ago, and I haven't been able to leave since. All right, then. Thanks for the advice. We'll keep it in mind. <laughs> Goodbye. No, it's not. Uh, I can't. What a crazy man. He would be locked away down so many levels in my domain. (laughs) Okay, friend. Looks like a hip flask on this pedestal. Let's do it. Young man, are you lost? Written by Elad Haber. Narrated by James Barnett. It's not enough, says the cashier behind the bulletproof glass. I'm gripping the bottle so tight it feels like it's mine already. I look over to the front door. It'd be so easy to run. Then I look closer, above the doorway, to a tiny machine gun hidden in the frame. Don't let its size fool you. I've seen one of those things turn a regular man into a holy man. I turn back to the cashier a dark-skinned piece of work with crumbs in his beard. His t-shirt barely fits his massive stomach. I think, this guy will sympathise. He knows what it's like to need something so bad it hurts. It's all I got. 
I plead with him. On the tray between us are a few gnarled bills and some pennies. The dark man gives me an even darker look. Not enough, he repeats. Come on, Amir, I say, trying to get him on my level. You know me. I come in here every day. I got my check coming at the end of the week. I just need something to get me through the night, he nods to himself. Maybe he's considering my proposal. Maybe he's going to give me a break. One soul to another. Then he smiles, huge like a clown, so I can see smears of chocolate on his teeth. Get out, he says. Come on, my friend. I open my arms wide, a universal gesture of peace. It only angers him. Get the fuck out or I call police, he says in broken English, waving an arm, shooing me away like a dog. Fine, I shout. I grab my money from the tray and shove it into my jeans pocket. I step outside into the cold night. There's a slight rain coming down. Headlights flash past on the street. The liquor store parking lot is deserted. Fluorescent lights from the nearby stores and motels buzz. I can feel a headache coming on. It starts small with a teeny hammering, but will soon become a chainsaw. Sober, bitter and angry, I talk to myself. Fucking immigrant piece of shit, motherfucker. Fuck you, I shout to the wind in the liquor store. Taking shit from me, just like everyone else. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just in the middle of a multi-year bender and I'm not inclined to stop anytime soon. The trick is to keep going. Drink, smoke, snort. Inject whatever you can get your hands on. That's how I survive. If you fall asleep, good. Get your energy back up to start the cycle again. Food is only necessary at the tail end of a high. The real trick is to never come down. It was going pretty good in that regard until that motherfucker got in the way. I gotta get some money, obviously. There are ways, some more kosher than others. There's robbing and stealing, but I've had problems with that in the past. I'm not as fast as I used to be, and if some punk kid or cop decides to give chase, I'll be arsed first in an alley in no time flat. I used to run schemes on the tourists downtown, back when there were tourists downtown. I find a bench underneath a broken streetlight. There's a sign with a picture of a bus on it nearby. Buses haven't run through this part of town in at least five, six years. There's a business idea. Start up some kind of van service, shuttling junkies and vagrants from one side of the ghetto to the other. I'd need a van and a driver's license, or at least one of the two. Some footsteps came up on me. I reached down to try and find my knife. It's usually in my front pocket. It takes a long few seconds, but I grab it and swing it around, some pennies dropping on the floor in the process. An old man in a professor's tweed jacket, hat, and corduroy pants stands half in the shadows beside the bench. I breathe a sigh of relief. <sighs> Fool, I say. I almost killed you. The geezer's voice is crackly like cereal, popping. Losing words. Young man, he says. Are you lost? Motherfucker, I spit back. This is my town. 
I ain't lost. I still have the knife gripped in one hand. That doesn't stop this crazy dinosaur from taking a step forward into the light. His skin is in worse shape than his voice. It's crumbled like discarded paper. Grey hair pokes out underneath his wide-brimmed hat, and his face has hundreds of tiny pimples, some with long white hairs. No, he says, elongating the vowel. He has a speaker's voice, like a radio personality, a hint of an accent. Not lost geographically, but metaphysically. Do you know who you are? Do you know why you are here? I think about putting the knife away. This old dude's strange words are at least making my headache the second thing I'm thinking about right now. Maybe not, I say. But who does? Who knows why they're here? I do. I can help you, he says, one step closer. Yeah, I say. You want to help me? Get me some booze and I'll be your best fucking friend. The old hick shrugs, reaches into his jacket pocket and pulls out a flask. Its polished silver looks clean. The cleanest thing I've seen in years. He pops the cap off with his thumb and hands it to me. It could be poison. Could be turpentine mixed with sleeping pills and gasoline. I don't even sniff it first. I put the top to my lips and tip the flask back like it's water and I'm dying in the desert. The alcohol goes straight to my brain. It tastes heavy, like whiskey. After another two swigs, I'm feeling like myself again. I have more, says the old man. I brew it myself. Would you like to see? I take another drink. It's either strong as hell or I'm thirsty as hell. I nod my agreement and reach a hand out to grip his shoulder. Lead the way, my man, I say. This guy's my hero. My own alcoholic guardian angel. As we walk in the opposite direction of the liquor store, he talks. My name is Dr. Pesher. I'm a psychologist by profession, but a bit of a jack of all trades in practice. I dabble in pharmacology, astronomy, physics, thanatology, perfumery, plant and animal husbandry, and homebrew alcohol, as you've already experienced. He looks back at me and smiles. His teeth are unnaturally white, like what you would imagine the teeth of children would be like if they were never exposed to candy. Ah, here we are, he says. Home sweet. His home is a boat secured to a wall with chains. There are no lakes or oceans nearby, only rivers and canals in this city. His boat is in one of these man-made passages. I look down and see only a few feet of water. The bottom of the boat is green with algae. I lean over the side of the wall to look a little closer and feel my balance slipping. The old man grabs my arm, tighter and stronger than I would have imagined, and pulls me away from the edge. When I look back at him in shock, he only smiles again. Careful there, young man, he says. My head is swimming from whatever sweet substance was in that flask. I reach into my pocket for some more but find the flask missing. The old man is holding it. It's silver picking up the shine of the moon. It's empty, but there's more inside. Hungrily, I follow him over a creaky plank to the ship's hold. I have to crouch to enter the first rounded doorway. I've been inside boats before, on tours of famous navy ships, 
Those were brightly lit and cleaned in military precision. By contrast, the inside of Pesci's boat is a hoarder's paradise, dark and claustrophobic, with cobwebs on every corner, trash on the floor, and an ever-present stench of cat piss. If there is light in these corridors, it's either half dead or blinking some form of SOS plea for help. We arrive in the centre hold of the boat. There are shelves lining every wall, all packed with jars adorned with labels and dates. Inside the jars are a multitude of liquids, some brown, others a frightening green. A few of the jars have brightly coloured liquids inside. There's a desk with a laptop and a messy display of wires that rise to the low ceiling and snake out across the room. Some couches stuffed with books and newspapers. And at least two, no, three cats sleeping on top of piles of loose paper. A kitchenette with a tiny fridge and an even smaller burner stove is in the farthest corner. Please, he says. Sit. There's only one chair, a faded red lounger, not drowning in clutter. It's dead center, facing one of the couches. I take all this in with a mild sense of disgust, but it doesn't really affect my buzz. The doctor's shit is gold, and I feel great. I sit and lean back as much as I can in the old chair. My man, I say. You said something about a refill? Ah, yes, of course says the doctor, already fiddling with something or other. He shuffles over to one of the shelves and pushes aside some derelict newspaper to unveil a spigot connected to one of the jars. The liquid inside is pale brown. He grabs a plastic cup from the floor and fills it. He walks over to the centre of the room to hand me the cup. Outside in the city, he seemed to be frail, stepping slowly. Inside his lair, he moves swift, and confident. Drink up, he says, and then sits down on the couch in front of me. He doesn't bother to move aside any of the clutter, just finds the perfect spot to sit his ass down. An ass-shaped space. Now, he says, young man. Why do you keep calling me that? I say, barely through my first sip. I have a name, you know. My folks call me Donald. You can call me Donnie. Okay, Donny, he says. Tell me about yourself. I heard you yelling in the parking lot. I assume you weren't always this way. What happened to you? Nah, man, I say. That wasn't me. I don't yell. I'm fine. I feel my thoughts ping-pong back across my head. I almost start laughing at the thought of words like balls bouncing around my head. I know what I heard, Pesci says suddenly serious. I see what you are. I can see your past. You've had violence and pain in your life, probably associated with loss. Who did you lose? The balls in my brain stop in midair. They fall like someone changed the level of gravity. I look at Pesci. He's looking less disheveled than before, like being home is enough to remake a man. My dad, I tell him. I put the cup to my lips to take another sip, then stop and put it back down. My dad died years ago. He left me some cash. Nothing huge, but would have been enough to get my life in order. I had a wife, mortgage, and a kid in high school. But I never got the money. 
My brother and sister stole it from me. They worked together to rob me of my inheritance. Tried to fight them. Spent every penny I had on lawyers. Then I lost my house. And then my wife left me. My kids won't take my calls. And that, doctor. I take my drink, downing it all in one shot. Ah, is my fucking story. Nothing new. Shit like this happens all the time. I'm just the sucker this time round. Pesci is standing next to me. He puts a hand on my shoulder. It's okay, Donnie. He says. It's all okay. The alcohol swims in my brain like an Olympian making laps. Back and forth across the pool of my mind. Back and forth. Back. Forth. I doze off. When I wake up, my vision is blurry and my thoughts weighted down. I can't move. I can wiggle my fingers and move my torso a bit, but my arms and legs are clasped in place. What the fuck? Ah, Pesci says, a beaming smile from his shining mouth. Good morning. Or actually, good evening. He laughs at his own joke. I hate that. What the fuck is going on, old man? He's busy walking around me, playing with instruments or something I can't see. We're in the middle of an experiment. It's actually groundbreaking. He pulls a long tube in front of me. I'm going to extract your sins. I feel a pricking in my arm. I look down and see a series of long clear tubes connected to my arms. Maybe seven or eight per arm. Pesci pulls a long needle out of the end of a new tube and sticks it into my arm. God damn it, stop that! But why? This will only help. He moves around in front of me again. I'm tied up on the lounger with my feet up. Pesci gets very close to my face, almost straddling me on the bed. You're full of sin, Donnie. You're lost. I will help you. I will pull away those terrible thoughts that force you to drink. With a grin, he tightens one of the straps. You see, Donnie, sin is power. It is all your craven thoughts and the passion of your heart and your mind mixed together. It's the fuel in your fire and the burning in your gut. I can harness that power. I can massage it for new productive purposes. You were just wasting it. I try to push my way out of the grips, but they're too tight. Get away from me. Let me go. No. He says. Not until you're cured. He disappears behind me. I can feel the tiny bit of sobriety back in my head. It makes me angry. I scream some more obscenities at him, stringing together some choice curse words, throwing in some Arabic and patois I've learnt on the street. There's a loud cranking sound that begins behind me, like an ancient engine has been turned on. I can even smell the fumes. And then the tubes start pulling into me. I look down to see my blood extracted at an obviously unhealthy speed. But it doesn't look like normal human blood. It's not red, but rather tinted in so many different colours, like black and green and orange. And it hurts like hell, like he's drilling into my body and pulling out my organs in liquid form. I scream. I think, 
everything becomes hazy. I feel like the boat is moving, churning through rough waters. I see Pesci standing in front of me, drinking from a clear glass cup. Yes. He snarls. That's good. He puts the cup to my lips and forces me to drink. It doesn't taste like alcohol. It tastes metallic, like blood, but mixed with some kind of sugar. How do your sins taste, Donnie? Can you tell the difference between hate and greed? Between anger and lust? I have a brief moment of clarity when the room refocuses and I can hear the machine behind me and feel the slight sway of the boat. I look down, a huge mistake, and see the tube still pulling rainbow-coloured blood from my veins. Then I black out again. When I come to, the sound of the motor behind me has subsided. There's only silence and the ever so slight crashing of waves against a ship's hull. My breath is coming out in ragged heaves like I've been exercising. My throat is dry and I need a drink. Water, preferably. My vision is blurred and I feel lighter by 20 or 30 pounds. I'm still in the cluttered hold of the ship. The smell of stale urine is everywhere. A figure stands in front of me. It doesn't look like the doctor, but his clothes are familiar. He turns to me and leans in close so I can smell the alcohol on his breath. His skin is smooth, tinted brown. His eyes are black, like mine. His teeth are bright white. He wears Pesci's tweed jacket, but his face and body are different. Lena. You feel better? Says the man in Pesci's deep voice. I know I certainly do. He laughs, loud and boisterous. He stands up straight and stretches his arms and back. Yes, this will do. The doctor grips my leg like I'm his new toy. Now, young man, shall we have some more? You've been listening to The Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Young Man, Are You Lost? was written by Elad Haber. Elad writes stories that exist in the ephemeral space between the click of the light and the start of the dream. His stories have been featured most recently at Space and Time magazine, Hybrid Fiction, and Starship Sofa. You can follow his ramblings on music and writing and the world on Twitter at musicinmycar or on his website at eladhaber.wordpress.com. This episode was narrated by James Barnett. Head to www.jamesbarnettauthor.com for more from James. The Stuttering Man and Dr. Pesci was performed by Mike Ricard from the Stories of Strangeness podcast, where Mike and Zoe discuss all things on topics of the paranormal, folklore, cryptids, hauntings and more. To check it out, head over to storiesofstrangeness.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. This episode was produced and edited by James Barnett. Here at The Night's End, we thank every one of you for listening. If you want to show more support, why not tell a friend who would enjoy these stories? Or if you're on the lookout for bonus content, why not head over to our Patreon? 
at www.patreon.com forward slash Podcast. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.